0: and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, my guest is Wendy Farha. She is a singer, a songwriter, a comedian, and an inspirational speaker. I came across uh, Wendy's story and knew immediately that I had to share it with you guys because it's so freaking good. It's so inspirational. So her story is really about beginning the search for her purpose at the age of 50 and the unexpected turn of events that led her to somewhere that she didn't realize she could go. So welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me here. So tell us a little bit about like, you turn 50 and you're like, okay, what's my next chapter? Tell us a little bit about that. And then kind of what led you from there to start searching?
1: Well, I always say I hit 50. Uh, do you ever notice people say that? It's like a train wreck or something. It's like <laughs> I turned 45. Oh, my 50, well, 48th birthday was the other. Oh, I hit 50. <laughs> yeah. So I hit 50. And I was like, wow, I guess I've missed the uh, on-ramp or something because I don't seem to know what my purpose is. And what made it worse was I didn't have kids to blame my life on. So I had never had children. So I wasn't pouring my life into other human beings for all those years. I had done some interesting things, but it was nothing. Ta-da. And a month past my 50th birthday, I thought I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to go and be a missionary in Hawaii. Because, you know, look at all those poor people on the beach, 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 beach. That must be so boring. They need help. So right. I just, I'm very altruistic that way. So I joined a missions. Uh, I was accepted on a missions organization in Hawaii. And uh, they said, make sure you do all your medical stuff before you come down because it's really good, hard to find a good doctor. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't had a mammogram in a year. That's true. And oh, yeah, I have this painful lump. But everybody says, everybody, they, right? Yeah. They say that if it's painful, it's not cancer. So it's fine. So I went and got the mammogram, which is what saved my life. And the doctor said, well, we see something, but probably nothing. I think they just say that to everybody. Yeah. And then had the biopsy and the technicians gathered around the screen and there was a a lot of silence. And I said, so can I still book my flight to Hawaii? And one of them said, I wouldn't. So I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer a week later. I'm the 11th cancer in my family. So I'm originally from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and they're you know, I'm a quarter French. So a lot of French Quebec, Quebec women have breast cancer, just because the gene pool very muddy, right? And uh, so no lifeguard. So I uh, in the gene pool, that was a joke. I wonder if that was obvious. Anyway, so I got the double mastectomy three weeks later, I called it my corporate downsizing. Because when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, when I was 40. And I think I'd had a need for medication my whole life as an adult but when I got on the meds it really stabilized me emotionally it was a key in my healing and recovery but I also started using comedy to keep my spirits up I thought you know the meds can only do so much I have to really be responsible for my own mental health and that's going to be laughing at stuff from now on like I go on YouTube and I look at little kitty videos and like I just like you would go to the fridge and get food I go to YouTube or wherever on a daily basis, and I do, I look for stuff that makes me laugh, so (laughs) here I am getting my double mastectomy, and I'm like, gonna use comedy, so I thought, this is my double-double, and I had my double-double, and the doctor was there when I woke up, my surgeon, and he said, you're good, you know, it hasn't spread, and I'm like, yay, I can go to Hawaii and be a missionary, and so he said, yeah, we'll see about that, came back a month later, and he's like, oops, we made a mistake, it spread, so we said, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to hit you with everything. It's aggressive. So 28 sessions of radiation, 14 sessions of chemo, wow, five other surgeries, minor and major, and a year of a drug called Herceptin, which is a hormone therapy. And then just, um, so that was 2009. I just finished my 10-year oral medication a couple of months ago. And so I started the chemo and my oncologist called me in and he says, yeah it looks like there's a spot in your lung and your spine so breast cancer always goes to the brain the bones the lungs the liver when it spreads and he says it could be metastasis and I'm like oh okay so how do you cure that and he's just looking really awkward and I said do you cut it out or is it no I said oh it's not curable and he said no if it's cancer if it's not curable but it could be just shadows I said okay so when do we find out he said two years I said are you freaking kidding me he says yeah because when the medication and the treatment is in your body it will if it is cancer it will work on those spots and it will keep them at bay it will uh, keep them maintained or shrink them so he says the only way we can know is after, after you finished in a year and a half then it takes another six months for all the treatment to get out of your body brings you to two years then we rescan you and if those spots are growing it's cancer if there's the same size they were just shadows like a mosquito on the x-ray So I came home and I thought I am not going to waste two years of my life worrying because.
0: So how do you get though, from, you know, when I read that part of your story, I'm thinking when somebody gives you kind of this indefinite diagnosis that you may or may not be curable. (laughs) Like you may or may not be dying to, you get to this place where you're like, okay, I am not going to spend what time I have left in fear. Like what was kind of the, the mental, was it like an immediate switch for you? Or was it like a bit of a process of? (laughs) It's my faith. You know, I'm a a person of faith and
1: I looked at my theology and I said, okay, like I believe there's an afterlife. Mm. And I believe because I'm a follower of Jesus that, you know, that's, the outcome. So I better make sure my actions match my theology. And so if that's true, I mean, if it's not, okay, you know, I go into the dust, but uh, if it's true, then what do I have to worry about? Right. That's literally what happened. I said, you know, if I go, the problem was not if I died because I thought, you know, I do believe there's something better, right. But what if I live? Like I got to figure out, (laughs) I got to get my crap together here. And that was the main concern. What if I live? Like this is life changing. I gotta figure out what I'm doing. I can't waste any more time spinning the hamster wheel. I gotta figure out I either gotta go around the wheel and you know, get off the wheel and do something meaningful, or just, you know, the wheel's turning, but the hamster's dead. So I have to figure this out. And that was the catalyst that brought me to where I am today. And that's why I say that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now I say that with a caveat that. I understand this is a hideous experience for some people. I went through it fairly you know, easily. Uh, there was not mm-hmm. a lot of pain. There weren't a lot of allergic reactions or that sort of thing. So, And my husband didn't leave me. I was married at the time. But I understand that I can't be glib about it. Some people, it just ruins their yeah. circumstances, though.
0: Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like as I'm listening to you talking, I'm I'm thinking it's like here you are, okay, you're setting out on this. Okay, what's next journey? And then universe, God, whatever, lit a big old fire underneath you and was like, hey Wendy, we're gonna speed this up now. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, fast <laughs> um, forward. Yeah, because I mean, I think most of us kind of get to this age of you know 50s and our 60s or whatever, and you know, there's these things that we've always wanted to do, and we're like, okay, life is short. I better hurry up if I'm going to do them. Now's the time. And then, you know, you layer on something like that is life threatening. You're like, oh, my goodness, what life I have left is so freaking precious. Yes. But that was
1: good. Yeah. Because, oh, you know, we're beautiful. good at procrastinating. And mm-hmm. now I talk a lot to women and I see this pattern, you know, well, I'm just, you know, thinking about it or, you know, I've thought about or like, when are you going to move? And so right. you get a diagnosis that you could be dead in two years. You move. And so I don't tell people I live every day as if it's my last. I live every day as if it's my best. Mm. So if I have option one, two, three, and three is the least meaningful or whatever, I'll go with option one. Whereas before, just by default, I would say, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll clean the kitchen because it gives you a sense of accomplishment and you've done something and you feel good until you talk to the woman who said, you know, I could have cleaned the kitchen. But what I did was I got three more corporate customers today. And you're like, I hate you. Yeah. I hate you. So you have to think, OK, this is my best day. What am I going to do with it? And so the parad- it was a paradigm shift. And I thought, what would I do if I lived? And I thought, well, you know, I've been singing since I was a little wee thing. Uh, I always say Karen Carpenter and Barbara Streisand taught me how to sing because I used to play my little cassette player and sing along with Barbara Streisand. The way we were. <laughs> and um, uh, so I thought and, and then I'd been writing songs since I was 18 and I'd been doing comedy since the um, we kind of always doing comedy, but like intentionally doing comedy since I was 40. And I would do a few shows, you know, with my music and and I would throw some comedy in after I, you know, went through the depression and people said, you're really funny. Like that really works. I'm like, really? So I thought I'd like to blend all that plus my story, which I was getting a lot of feedback. It's like, Oh, you're so inspirational. Like I would yeah. be walking to the bathroom with my IV pole during chemo. And I'd say, look, ladies and look, gentlemen, I'm pole dancing. <laughs> and then, and I saw them smile and I thought, oh, that's so rewarding to, not only make people laugh, but make people laugh in the midst of their suffering. And then I go, look, if I had two poles, I'd be bipolar. And then I'd go to the bathroom and then make jokes all the way back to my chemo chair. And then this lady called me one day and she said, I'm making a a movie. It's called Beauty and the Breast, not Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Breast. Or if you're shy about using that word, you can just say Beauty and the Appendage. And so I said, well, okay, I'm tired and I'm in bed. And she said, oh, Listen, it's about nine Quebec women with breast cancer, well, currently eight. And she said they're all kind of like depressed and crying. And she said, I heard you have a sense of humor. Should, would you consider coming into my movie? And I'm like, I thought this was some like university student flick. And then I found out that the executive producer was Denis Arcand's wife. Well, Denis Arcan is one of the leading directors in Quebec. So, oh, now I'm interested. So I went and kind of did a screen test with her. Look, here's my little best friend. Oh, and she's like, I want to be a star too, a podcaster. And so we did a little screen test and I talked about how the best way to prep for your mammogram is to take your boob and stick it in, open the fridge door, and then slam it on your boob. And she thought that was just <laughs> utterly charming. And so she said, I want you in my movie. And I'm like, all right. And you know, that was just amazing. I'm so glad I said yes, because the film crew started following me around. It came to my first chemo. I said, come to church, see the see how I get my strength. They all came to church, not too conspicuous, eh? The microphone and the lighting. <laughs> yeah, line yeah really. And, you know, this tech sitting on the floor while the worship team's playing. And, and it was amazing. And the film, you can get it on iTunes, Beauty in the Breast. There's two Beauty in the Breast. There's one in Asia. That's not me. That's not, you yeah. <laughs> okay. know, I didn't go to China. Beauty in the Breast. And it won all kinds of awards and film festivals. Oh, cool. and, yeah. And that was just so therapeutic because I like being the center of attention, darling. And so, you know, there just came these little pluses in the midst of my experience. And so when people say, oh, you must have had a horrible time with cancer. No, my marriage was much more difficult than the cancer and the depression was horrible. And so cancer wasn't the worst thing. It was the best thing to happen.
0: Wow. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, as we embark on this next chapter and we're figuring out the what's next. Like fear is a common response, fear of all kinds of things that are coming up. And I'm like, you're in a situation here where like fear is like times 10 because here you're fearing for your life. And the way that you, the fear never actually settled in for you is because you were constantly making light of it. Like you were constantly like making other people laugh. And I don't know, I think that's just so beautiful. I think, you know, I never, I, I would get these
1: moments of fear, like Panic. I've never had a panic attack, but I can imagine that's how it starts where you're just like, Ugh! yeah, and it just the enormity of it. And I can't imagine going through that 20. Yeah. I saw this interview the other day of a girl in Australia. She went on these tanning beds mm. and she was 26 and she was dying of skin cancer. And the shock on her face, like that would be a totally different story. You know what, 50, you've lived a majority yeah. of your life unless you live to be 100. And but I didn't, the fear was just not in the mix. But again, I'm a person of faith, and I don't know if people with a positive attitude can override that fact because, like, it's all positive, and we're just, you know, I think that can suppress the real emotions. So I wasn't suppressing. I genuinely believed that whichever outcome occurred was going to be okay. But the more concern, for me was the living part. And that's where I got very intentional. I said, I got to have this figured out by the time I get a diagnosis of remission or not remission. And I thought, I just want to get in my car, drive all over the place, sing, do comedy, and then share my story about what happens when difficult things occur. And so my niche market was churches. So I just started calling churches in Ontario because I was in Quebec. And I had tried that before. Can I come and can I sing? And you know, can we have an event? And can you invite people and we'll sell tickets, and I would get a lot of rejection. And I took that as a sign that it wasn't meant to be. Whereas now, it's like, I realize, okay, I need to go through 100 rejections, so that I can get those five yeses. And so what I tell my audiences is, is faith spelled RISK. Right. And when you have a low self-esteem, RISK is very, very scary. Yeah. But one of the other subtext to my stories is that I had low self-esteem my whole life just felt like horrible about myself which came from trauma in the childhood and the whole bit and I had been going for counseling and, and doing all the right things and making incremental steps forward but this kind of just sealed everything and I just had a breakthrough where I and and also turning 50 right like right I really don't care what other people think don't you find at 50 yeah you really care less <laughs> A lot like yeah, I'm not going to please people anymore. Like I'm going to say no more and I'm going to do what I want and not in a bad way. I'm not going to be selfish, but I'm just going to go ahead. And and so that's what happened. And I realized, girl, you got to take some risks. And now I tell people, because I told this one woman, I said, you have to take risks. And she came home and she said, I did it. She was like in her seventies. I took all my savings and I bought two tickets to go to Mexico with my son, I said, your son is living a different life than what you wanted. She wanted to go and be a missionary in Mexico. And she was like, he's going to come around in a year. I said, Oh, my gosh, like, he's an addict. And she heard my story about risk. And she said, there we go. I said, Oh, that's a big Uh-oh. risk. <laughs> he lost the money. I mean, he didn't come around. And so what I tell women is take a risk, but take a, a measured risk. Yeah. You know, you risk every time you get in the car. Yeah, you could get in a car accident. And I know for people who are paralyzed by fear, they don't go out of their house and they're afraid to eat that food and they're afraid to watch the news. So there's always risk. Take a measured risk. Get a team of women around you or or people and
0: bounce the ideas off and Mm -hmm. see what their feedback is like. Ah, no, don't do that. Or "Hmm, that could work. Yeah, I am such a believer in the power of community. And like, because when you're all all alone, it's so easy for your brain to just completely take over and like literally, you know, have you curled up in a ball on the couch watching reruns all day. Right. But because you can't see yourself. Right. Right. And then, you know, like you said, you were taking the feedback from other people. Yes. Right. And bouncing ideas off people and things like that. And it's so like, there's so much power in community. Yeah. And especially as women. Yeah. Because one of the things I find with, you know, a lot of, you know, people in my workshops and my clients and stuff is that they're having all of these, like, you know, feelings of dissatisfaction with their life. They're feeling guilty about it. And when you open the door for them and you say, Hey, you know what? You're not alone. There's so many of us in this. It's like watching this massive weight being lifted off them because yeah. we're all experiencing the same thing and nobody's talking about it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just asking each other, forming a little, pod you know a group where you get together once a month you where do you want to go yeah. are you on your way what steps have you taken to get there things like that and and, and a lot of us had very very little life skills when we started out yeah. my parents god bless them they did the best they could but i got zero information on how to do life <laughs> right. financial emotional relational i had to and you know <laughs> one of the ironies of life is that you become wise and experienced by making stupid mistakes. That's basically <laughs> the only way you can get there. You're, oh, you're so smart. How do you get all this knowledge? Uh, yeah. You don't want to know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: How did you become a financial guru? I be, I went bankrupt five times. So uh, yeah, I started calling all these places in Ontario and got lots of rejection. And this time I thought, I don't care. I'm just going to keep calling until I get a yes. And I, I would say forever. So I do all my own bookings, all my own tours and for every hundred phone calls, I get maybe five to seven bookings. Mm. Small ratio, but I'm sure you're aware of sales. You've known yep. people in sales. That's an average ratio. And yep. I didn't know that years ago. So I thought after 10 rejections, it's like, well, I guess I'm a piece of crap and nobody cares, but I'm just a, I'm just a terrible human being. And no, I had nothing to lose, right? Right. And so I went into remission in 2011 and boom, I started on the road and uh, that was 2011. I started touring and I toured right up till COVID. It's 500 events across North America and it was just so freeing. And then also I was in a very toxic marriage. So it was just a delight to get on the road. I was alone. Yes. But after I started doing a lot of shows and that, you know, the high volume of people at the CD table... I sell jewelry on the side to help finance the tour. And so from the time I start setting up to the time I actually get to go to bed eight hours later, I'm peopled out. And then I get in the van, I can process, I can drive. And Canada is very horizontal in terms (laughs) of touring. Like you can't really go very far north. And so there's long distances of driving and it felt like I was a bird out of a cage. I was like euphoric. This is amazing. I get to write my own script, which is very important for women in their 50s. You've followed everybody else's script. Amen. And you're tired of it. Like you have to rehearse the lines. You have to know when to come in and when to exit. You have to know where to stand. I've never even used this example before. This is really cool. I like when I talk, I educate myself. And so I just like, it's like a play, you know, and you're like, Oh, I did that wrong. Sorry. I should have come in a few seconds later. And when you write your own script, it's so delightful. I'm the director, I'm the actor,
0: I'm the musician. You know, and one of the things that really struck me about your story as well, too, and this is something that I say all the time. It was true for me. It's true for, you know, it's true for all of us. But yours is such a very clear demonstration of. Everything in your life sets you up with where you need to go next because we all get to that place and we're like, I don't know what it is, I don't know what to do. And if you just step back for a second and realize like, you know, there's our dreams and desires that you've had, there are experiences, there's the knowledge, the wisdom, you know, the skills, the life experience. When you bundle that all together, it's incredibly powerful. And there's a theme in it, right? Like yes. that makes it clear, but we struggle to connect the dots because we don't value the things that we we don't right. value our own experiences enough. Right. Yes.
1: I was staying in Virginia with a lady years and years ago. And, you know, she says, I'm in my, she was in her late 60s. She says, I'm just an old lady. Now to me, I'm 62 now. I'm like, honey, you are young, but 65 or 70. And she said, no one's going to listen to what I have to say. And I, I, you know, that whole low self-esteem that women seem to acquire from birth. And she said, you know, I don't really have anything to offer. I said, Evelyn, I said, where are you sleeping right now? She said, on the couch. And I said, and who is in your bed? Well, that this is a gal who risked all her savings and lost them for right. tickets. Her son was, you know, living a very interesting lifestyle. And he was driving a cab. And he had brought a prostitute to the door one night to his mom's and said she has nowhere to stay. And so Evelyn gave this prostitute her bed. And she was sleeping on the couch. I said, Evelyn, who's in your bed right now? And she says, well, Anybody would have done that. I said, Evelyn, not everyone would have done that. That is an exceptional human being who does that. Oh, no. She said, Every, everyone. No, Evelyn, not everyone had done that. So just putting down your own natural inclination. Oh, it's just running a daycare. Anybody could run. I can't run a daycare. Yeah. I do not want to run a daycare. You know, it's just baking bread. I read, I read a story of a woman the other day who raised thousands and thousands of dollars after she came home from Africa. By baking banana bread, she said, "This cannot happen where these girls have nowhere to sleep and they're getting raped." I am going to bake banana bread and I'm going to sell banana bread until I have, and thousands of loaves of banana bread. I mean, if that's what you love to do, do it, but do it with exactly. meaning. Do it with purpose. Do, yeah, yeah. Marry it with the world's needs. I saw this somewhere. Your skill plus the world's needs blend yeah. it together. Create purpose.
0: Yeah. That's perfect. And your purpose has to bring you joy because, you know, like yeah. you said, you know, sometimes it can be difficult, right? But if you have something that's bigger <laughs> than yeah. your fear, yes. right, then it can yeah. keep pulling you forward. Like you need something to pull you forward because right. it's so easy to
1: get pulled back, right? And and not only bring joy to yourself, but, you know, a lot of leading international speakers like John Maxwell, known internationally for his leadership And he said, you know, it has to benefit the other. Yes. Because it's so, it's so North American now to do this. We've become so disconnected from each other. We're not in community. I was um, teaching English, just volunteer in Montreal. And these newcomers would come and say, oh, you know, I'm so glad to be in Canada. Oh, land of milk and honey. And one gal said, why are those people sleeping on the sidewalk? I said, they're homeless. She goes, in Canada? like, I don't know what they learn about Canada and other countries, but they come with just like stars. And and then you see them starting to wear down. And they're like, nobody talks to us in our building. They pass us, they don't look at us, they don't say hello. And I said, welcome to North America, where you came from, you had relationship, you had community. Yes, you were poor. Yes, you had war, but you had each other. I said, here, you can do your, you can chase your dream, you can climb the ladder, you can make a lot of money, you can buy a house, you can do this. But cost is relationship. I said, yeah, work on that. Don't lose that.
0: Yeah. There's a term in um, psychological development circles called generativity. Have you ever heard of it? No. And it's like it's a psychological term that basically speaks to the mindset of people as they get into their fifties, they start considering, you know, first of all, the first part of their life is like, what can I do for my family? And it's kind of very more insulated. Right. And then as you get later on in life, your focus, well, expands and shrinks at the same time as in what can I do for me, but also how can I leave a legacy? Right. And that's why we find, I think, so many women focused on women, not just women, but um, men as well, too, focused on, you know, like, what can I do next that's meaningful? Like, I I need to have some meaning in my life. I need to know that I have done some good somewhere. Right. I think it's so important. Right. I get it. Like, we need to be very insular and focused at the beginning part of our lives. But we have so much. I always say we have so many gifts to give the world. And this time of our life is about turning the tables and right. focusing on how we share those gifts, which is yes. like you sharing the gift of laughter and comedy. I mean, I think that's like one of the most beautiful gifts you could give to another person,
1: right? I never serious. realized the power of laughter until I started touring. And I realized that I thought, oh, you know, it's kind of shallow. It just make people laugh. But then I started hearing their stories. And I thought, this is life-giving. This is really, one woman came up to me. She said, my husband or son committed suicide two years ago. I haven't laughed since. She said, I couldn't believe that I was laughing to me. She said, it's, it's like they give themselves permission to, to experience joy. And I've had, there was a couple that came to my show in uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, and he had just been diagnosed with cancer that afternoon. And I said, why are we going to go to a comedy night? And it's not just a comedy night. I mean, it's clear in the posters and in the teams that I work with in the individual venues that don't tell people it's a ha-ha-ha, singing. It's music. There's some funny stuff. I do my menopause song. And then there's some serious stuff. And then there's comedy. And then the meat of it is my message of going through clinical depression, breast cancer. I talk about being molested when I was seven by a neighbor. So it's the meat. And out of that message, people come mm-hmm. and tell me their stories. Some stories, this 83-year-old came up to me and said, I had an abortion when I was 40. And I've been regretting it ever since. And I can't, you know, she says, I've forgiven myself. I said, well, if that's in your head all the time. And, you know, she she really wanted that child, but she felt she couldn't at the time. And wow, that's a long time to carry that. 43 years, man. Another gal raped repeatedly when she was a child. Couldn't, you know, in her 70s, had never told anyone. So it's powerful stuff. And in fact, I'm trying to develop a team, maybe if they're not, not with me, but, you know, virtual or whatever, so that I can pass these people on to someone that I know and trust, not just say, oh, go find a counselor, because some counselors are really not good. Right. So that when I leave town the next day, I'm not just kind of opening the wound and then see ya. So hopefully that will develop over time. If
0: God willing, I get back on the road Yeah, I'm sure I know you will. (laughs) Yeah. And I like I was reading actually an article not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how much stress we all live under in our culture right now. Um, like just even like with take put aside like, you know, illness and depression and things like that, but just like on everyday life. And they were talking about what like, and I think it was in the top two things for stress relief is laughter. Like it's right up there with meditation, right? Like the physiological impacts of laughter are immense. Yeah, right. So what a what a beautiful gift you are giving to the world. I feel so grateful, and you know, there's just
1: something about seeing someone's face like very intense or serious, and then and then I tell the joke, and then it goes out, and then they receive it, and they process it, and then the face just kind of like lights up like a tree, like a Christmas tree. It's like that moment is just uh, that's my adrenaline i'm like whether it's you know in a small group or just one-on-one it's magic and i i'm just so i feel so privileged to have that ability it's like the way my brain is wired i always look for the comedy i don't know why but it just like someone says something just totally mundane and i just come out with the zinger and i'm like where did that come from
0: <laughs> Coming through you Yeah. Like as you were talking, I was literally like getting goosebumps and I have these things that I call the tears of truth that when I, when someone is in their zone of genius, like it resonates for me through, like when I watch the voice, I cry because it's just like, and as you're speaking, I'm having this like full body reaction. Um, so it's, yeah, you are so doing what you were meant to be doing. And like, whether you tour, in person or whether it's a virtual thing or whatever happens. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next, but your yeah. journey will continue for sure. I can, I can yeah. feel that. Oh, That's thank amazing. you. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and like your shows and other things that you have going on? Because I know that people listening are going to want to hear more yeah. of your
1: comedy. <laughs> so I've just been developing a new website. There's not a lot of meat on the bones, but so far got the bare bones up there. It's Wendy. Ha ha. Dot .com so the fun thing about me is my last name is Farha it's arabic my grandparents on my dad's side came from Damascus syria and that's how we got the name Farha and Farha in arabic means joy like how about oh. that for destiny <laughs> but a lot of people have a hard time pronouncing it or spelling it so i thought do i really want Wendy wendyfarha.com no wendy haha because my I first love it. my last name is far f a r ha and I have H-A in my name, and it means joy. So yeah, WendyHaha.com. And there aren't any shows on there now, but you never know, maybe in the months to come. And then there's some icons on there for YouTube and Instagram. And I'm kind of like, I don't have a lot of my music up there, just because, you know, when it goes on to streaming sources, you're getting pennies. Yeah. And I've traditionally had CDs. So we're just trying to figure out what to do at this point right. because a lot of people still aren't buying CDs. So yeah, but you can hear my comedy on YouTube, Wendy Farha, and there's, you know, the link on my website, wendihaha.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, we'll make sure that we put the link to your website and also to your YouTube channel because I know that there's going to be some people going there to get <laughs> to get some yeah. yeah. And like I said, your story was so impactful for me because it was just like, you know, like I said, life is always, even during the hard times, life is always setting you up for where you need to go. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and if we can hold that belief and that possibility, when we're in the hard, the tough times, like you did through all of your experiences, right. Mm. Magic can happen. Right. Mm. And if laughing along the way is, you know, if somebody's listening to this and you're in the middle of the crap, you know what I mean? And it just feels like it's never going to go and go check out Wendy and laugh for a little bit. And I guarantee you, after that, you will feel a whole lot different about your situation. So thank you yep. Wendy, for sharing. you welcome. You're welcome. Your You're welcome. So Thanks, Jennifer. <laughs> so everybody, like I said, I encourage you to go check out Wendy's work, have a good laugh. I have seen some of it and she is hilarious. Well, if you couldn't tell from this episode, she is hilarious. So we'll put it all in the show notes and I would love for you to rate or review this episode on your favorite podcast platform. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.